morning, class. Today we're going to learn the McDonald's menu song and give a listener out there a chance to win a million dollars. So, repeat after me. Repeat after me. No, no. No, no. Uh, okay. Okay. Here goes. Here goes. Big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese filet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal, McNuggets, tasty golden french fries, regular or larger size, a salad, chef or garden, or a chicken salad, oriental, big big breakfast, egg muffin, hot hot cakes and sausage, maybe biscuits, bacon, egg and cheese, or sausage, Danish hash browns, two and four dessert, hot apple pies and Sundays, three varieties of saucer, corn, three kinds of shakes and chocolate, Egypt cookies, and a drink, a Coca-Cola diet, Coke and orange, drink a Sprite and coffee, decaf, two, a low-fat milk, also an orange juice, I love McDonald's, good time, great taste, and I get this all at one place. Got it? Got it! Okay, now you do! Ah, too bad. Because if this class can do the McDonald's menu song all the way through, a listener out there is going to win a million dollars. Between 1988 and 1989, McDonald's distributed approximately 80 million copies of a vinyl record for a new contest. The flexi-disc vinyl record was called the One Million Menu Song. Though they play like regular vinyl records at 33 and a third RPMs, flexi discs are thin and bendable like paper, so McDonald's printed up a bunch of copies of the record and stuck them into newspapers. They attached them to sheets of coupons as advertising supplements. Each disc featuring audio of a skit where a teacher instructs his class on the menu song, which was simply the McDonald's menu set to music. You know the one that every kid between the age of 6 and 10 tried to master without a flub? The way the contest worked was this. Each disc contained a recording of a cheerful but inept chorus singing its way through the entire McDonald's menu. If the singers could make it all the way through the menu song without screwing up, the disc was a winner and the prize was $1 million. In 1988, $1 million had the purchasing power of $2 million in today's money. We scoff at a million dollars today, but a million dollars in 1988 was truly a huge deal. Unfortunately, the odds of winning were 1 in 80 million. To give you an example of what 1 in 80 million is like, let's use a few examples. Winning the actual lottery is 1 in 45 million. Chances of you dating a supermodel is 1 in 88,000. You becoming a saint? 1 in 20 million. Chance of dying if you're right-handed using a piece of left-handed equipment, 1 in 44 million. Yes, I swear this is true. It turns out that around 25,000 people every year die from being left-handed and using right-handed pieces of equipment incorrectly. But I digress. You winning an Oscar is 1 in 11,000. Pretty good odds if you ask me. Kim Kardashian winning the U.S. presidency, 1 in 81. No, not... 81,000 or 81 million, like tens of eight. How scary is that? All of those things were more possible than you getting the winning record from McDonald's for a measly $1 million. I remember these records vividly and would play every record I could get my hands on. No shame in stealing my neighbor's newspaper. Stealing my grandmother's newspaper? Damn right. You see, I was 12. I didn't know what a 1 in 80 million chance meant. I mean, that's the great part about these stories, right? When you're young, you believe in the impossible. Speaking of why these advertisements worked specifically on kids, let's check out my mentality around 1986. I remember when I was 10, our local Winn-Dixie grocery store was giving away a rare Coca-Cola BMX bike. It was red and silver with white lettering. Man, I wanted that bike so bad. 
That was around the time BMX was really taking off, too. The movie Rad was my life's blood. Sure, the movie was a complete bomb at the box office, but you can't deny its perfection looking back on it. I mean, just listen to the movie description. Crew Jones is a teenage BMX racer who lives in a small town with his younger sister, Wesley, and their mother. Crew is faced with a tough decision. Qualify for Hell Track or take the SATs in order to attend college. Winning Hell Track means $100,000, a new Chevrolet Corvette, and fame. I'll spoil it for you if you like. Crew wins Helltrack, despite efforts by the owner of Mongoose Bikes, trying to rig the contest against him. Oh, and it has Lori Loughlin in it, which is a triple bonus. Okay, I get it. She paid some schools to get her kids into college. But I mean, really, what parent doesn't, in some form, want that kind of wealth to give to their children? I don't care. I don't pay attention to those things. I don't even like the news. She was Aunt Becky on Full House. TGIF royalty. She can really do no wrong here. Goonies, this bike was gorgeous at Winn-Dixie. And I entered my name into that box over and over again for the next 60 days. It's set in front of the Coca-Cola display up front, and I never missed the opportunity. If I had to estimate how many times I put my name in there, I bet I could get really close. Let's see, I put it in on every single Friday for two months. I know I did because one of mine and my mother's bonding experiences was her picking me up from school on Fridays to go grocery shopping. My God, I loved Friday grocery shopping. It's the time I would take my lawnmower money from my previous Saturdays and buy mad and cracked magazines. Then I would walk down to the comic book store to check out their items and buy a lot of things I didn't really need. I'm pretty sure I kept their lights on because literally the moment I kind of grew out of grocery shopping with my mom and reading comic books, they closed down. Big shout out to Twelfth Night Comics. There's now a wig shop there. Sometimes I catch myself staring at that wig shop, remembering how much time I spent there through the 80s. Okay, I'm getting off track here. So I know I put my name into that box for the bike for at least eight Fridays. I also know that over the two months that they were there, other multiple occasions popped up where my family forgot something while we were out doing errands and needed to stop for something. I would always, always demand we go to Winn-Dixie. Why? So I could put my name in the box one more time for the bike. I would say I put my name in that box a total of, let's see, 30 times? That might be a low estimate, actually. But obviously, I didn't win. They did the drawing on a Sunday, while I, of course, was forced to go to church. I remember making my parents drive me to the Winn-Dixie to see if I had won. They knew I didn't, because that was the family's luck. We just don't win things. We don't really have fantastic fortunes. It's our creed. We're unlucky. My parents, of course, didn't want to break my heart. There was no fun in that. They would enjoy it much more if the high school senior working the Winn-Dixie customer service counter did it. But I knew. I walked in and the bike was gone and Tammy at the Winn-Dixie service desk informed me, Bike? Uh, yeah. Some kid won it and took it this morning. Needless to say, I was devastated. Still, my chances of winning that bike were indefinitely better than my chances of winning the $1 million record contest for McDonald's. But again, kids... We don't really understand the odds. That's what's great about being a kid. Everything is obtainable. Everything is possible. Every kid can envision the thing they most desire happening. And I want to mention this here because, well, I can. It's my podcast. 
Let your kids fall all over themselves, believing in the impossible. It's the rare opportunity that human beings fool themselves that the world is still magical. Let them believe in the impossible. Don't make them bitter adults before they're ready. And for Christ's sake, stop talking to them about politics. My God, people, they're children. But back to the whole point of this podcast. The point of all that jabber I laid on you is one kid did actually win the contest. On a cold February day in Galax, Virginia in 1989, a 13-year-old boy named Scott Landreth was rifling through a stack of papers looking to start a fire in his family's wood stove. The same wood stove used to heat the house and to cook skillet cornbread, vegetables from the garden, and animals they hunted in the Appalachian Hills around their home. The area around Galax was extremely poor, and Scotty and his family were barely surviving. It was in that stack of newspapers Scotty found that shiny brown cardboard like a square record. On the record it says, quote, You could win one million instantly. Play this record now. Scotty's family had an old record player, and to give you an idea of how poor the family was, that free square McDonald's record was literally the first record Scotty had ever owned. He put the cardboard square record down on the record player, dropped the needle, and a song began to play. When it ended, a voice came on and prompted Scotty to call a number to claim his prize. Scotty said, I figured we might have won a car or free meals. Either way, it would have been good to me. I never, ever could have thought that it would be a million dollars. One million dollars couldn't have meant more anywhere other than in Galax, Virginia. The area was blue-collar, where people lived paycheck to paycheck. Luxuries were few and far between for most families in the area, and Scotty's wasn't different. But finding the one in 80 million record? Furthermore, one that was about to go into a stove fire. What are the chances the record ever catches his eye in the first place? Scotty was a minor, so his mother collected their winnings. She flew to Chicago and appeared in a promotional commercial for McDonald's. When she returned to Galax with her son's winnings, she kept it. She married the love of her life and bought the thrift store that she worked at, renaming it The Price is Right. She staffed it with her family members and set up credit systems for locals in need. Needless to say, from there, a lot of stories tell the same ending. The money's gone, and she's since passed away, leaving Scotty nothing. In just 10 years, they had nothing left over. A little-known fact for you folks. When you win a prize that size, you have two choices. You can either take the lump sum minus taxes, or you can get the money over time from an annuity. I guess the advice I can give you is that if you want a large sum north of $10 million, take the sum. But for a $1 million cash out, always take the payments, which probably could have sustained the family for many years. Instead, Scotty's mom made the mistake, often made by new winners. She took the lump sum. The lesser sum is often anywhere from 30 to 50% of the prize amount. Scotty's mom likely got between $500,000 and $700,000. After buying the store she worked at, which building and all was probably at least a few hundred thousand dollars, add in the credit she gave to just about everyone in Galax, her family who now worked for her in the store taking money, and misuse of the funds to take vacation. Let's not forget the taxes she probably owed. And don't forget, her boyfriend was cleaning out her accounts and running off with the money. The result was that Scotty's mother died penniless in her sister's trailer in hospice care from cancer. In just a decade, a family went from wealth to penniless. It's sad, right? But I feel worse for Scotty. 
I mean, he found the record. He won the money. Had they taken the annuity, he'd be getting at least something from the winnings now. But instead, today, he works two jobs to keep himself afloat. Scotty still lives in the house where he once almost burned $1 million in a stove to heat the living room. Maybe in another dimension that would have been best. Maybe he would have been happier. Sometimes it's better to have never had it to wonder what it was like than to have it and lose it and know what it was like. He was the only winner ever of the $1 million record contest by McDonald's. Special thing here, I'm going to give you guys an additional two for episode. Because you kind people have helped me get 600 downloads so far, we're going to move on to a second story that's going to be a surprise for you. But it's kind of in the same kind of category as the McDonald's $1 million record song. Well, I don't think we can talk about the McDonald's won an 8 million record contest without talking about magic cans, which is just magicians without the eye. Weird, right? Anyway, you got to remember these amazing feats of invention. The Coca-Cola company went on a marketing blaze in 1990 with their magic summer of 90s campaign. The contest was this. Coke would hide money in their cans of Coke. And when you pop the top, a tight roll of cash would pop through the opening of the Coke can. I remember the magic can commercials like it was yesterday. Not only did these badass cans spit out cash, they also popped up free tickets to a New Kids on the Block concert. The possibilities were endless. The cans worked with a spring mechanism. When you popped the top, you actually pulled the tab towards you, which pushed down a plastic holder with a spring under it. As you pushed down the spring compressed, once the tab cleared the plastic tip, it primed the spring to shoot up a tight roll of 5, 10, 20, 50, or $100 bills, the top prize being 500 There were even redeemable coupons for merchandise or concert tickets. Coke reportedly set aside $4 million in prizes and cash for the Summer Magic 90 promotion. But as quickly as Summer Magic was tossed upon our store shelves, it was gone. That's right, Magic cans lasted less than a month, from May 7th through May 31st. Summer Magic didn't actually make it through a whole summer. The problem came with faulty design and really stupid decisions by Coke. The issue was making the cans as heavy as regular Coke cans to not give away to anyone that one might be a magic can. So they had to add a fluid to the can under the spring system to give the magic cans the proper weight and feel. You would think in the meeting room with the design team when this question was brought to light, quote, what fluid should we use to put in the cans to keep the weight of the can right? The obvious answer would have been Coke. I mean, you have enough to fill the Nile River. It makes sense to use Coke, right? No, 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 no. It made more sense for Coke to use chlorinated water. A number of cans had problems. The pop-up mechanism malfunctioned, jamming or faulty seal released some of the chlorinated water mixture into the can itself. A wildly reported incident involved an 11-year-old boy in Massachusetts drinking the foul-tasting liquid used to replace the actual cola. Despite initial fears, though, the Massachusetts Department of Health determined that the water was not harmful, containing a lower concentration of chlorine than the water in a typical swimming pool. 
Worried about the bad publicity and potential product liability lawsuits, Coke immediately placed television and newspaper advertisements in 50 large United States markets. The full-page ads only ran once and warned consumers that a very small number of cans contained a foul-smelling but harmless water that should not be ingested. The ads were headlined, quote, Take a good look, and in a smaller type read, quote, You could have a magic can. The print ads pointed out that the magic cans might be defective, which actually proved a key point in any potential plaintiff's lawsuit under the doctrine of strict liability. Moreover, moreover, the problem with the chlorinated mixture was not concern of being drunk by accident, but that it spilled over into the prize. Multiple winners complained about receiving soggy money after activating a magic can. Really? You win $500 and you're complaining that it's soggy? Anyway, the Magic Summer 90 campaign didn't even make it to summer, and Coke finally put the nicks on the campaign in just three weeks. That's right, you remember a campaign that lasted only three weeks, 30 years later. How strong was that advertisement? The company launched the ad on May 7th, and it was over by May 31st, over concerns about faulty can lawsuits. At the time, the company had over 200,000 Magic Cans on the shelf, they had to recall. However, on the flip side, rival Pepsi was doing it right. They also did a prize giveaway in 1990 under the Cool Cans promotion. However, instead of a complicated push-up device in cans, each can was filled with normal, drinkable, actual cola, and at the bottom of the inside of the can, there was a number printed that could correspond with the prize from $25 to $20,000. The consumer called a toll-free number to find out if they had won. Pepsi promotion also suffered from negative publicity, though, when it was discovered that if two specific cool cans were stacked in a certain way, the design appeared to spell out the word sex. Coca-Cola would attempt a similar promotion three years later with Monsters of the Gridiron, a Halloween-themed promotion where people could call a toll-free number and enter a code to which recording from an NFL star would tell them whether or not they won a prize. This podcast just went over some of the worst promotions of the 80s and 90s, but they are far from the only ones. Just wait until we talk about Pizza Hut's Bigfoot Pizza, which cost the chain millions. Hey, it happens. Marketing people are ideas people. Sometimes they aren't the best at execution. But despite the failures, there is something to be said about these promotions that only lasted in one case less than a year, and in another less than a month. We still remember them. Companies were unafraid to try to think outside the box 40 years ago. It was a battle for the consumer, and the only real way to do it was through the newspaper and TV ads. I mean, really, guys, what a time to be alive, to dig through your parents' newspaper to find the McDonald's menu record, or the hope of popping a Coke and only to see a five tightly rolled $100 bills pop up out of the tab? And I know you had a Pepsi Cool Can collection and arranged the two cans to display the word sex on your dresser. We all did. My own mother walked past the sex cans for years without even noticing it. I long for these types of promotions now. I remember being a kid and thinking, if this is what it's like in 1990, what will we be doing by 2000? The answer, young L. Dangeroso, is nothing. We'll be doing nothing. Listen, everyone, thanks for listening. Check out our Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for helping me get to 600 downloads. It's a small call, but a huge advantage for a little podcast like mine. 
Please go to Apple and give me a five-star review. It means a lot to me. It's been one of the most proven ways to get noticed and grow in the podcast world. God knows I need as much publicity as I can. So please do that. Tell your friends. Tell your family that we're out here. And as always, as I tell you guys, I do this for my two little boys who one day may want to hear dad's voice and talk about his childhood and yours. And boys, if you're listening, as always, I love you so much. I hope you're doing good, and I'm proud of you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the 21 Years Podcast. We'll be back with something very fun next time. It's been a little hard lately to get episodes out. I always try to say that I'm going to be moving on and doing it quick as I can, but... Life gets in the way, had some doctor's appointments, nothing serious, El Dangeroso is fine, he's going to be here for a little while, knock on wood, but just trying to make some things go in the right direction. Um, I'm actually incorporating and buying a new business, so that's gotten in the way of the time I've had to be able to do this, but don't you worry, this is an important thing for me, and it's an important thing for you, I know, because it's fun to go back and think about these childhood memories. I won't give up as long as you keep listening. So sometimes episodes may take a little while, but I promise to do things as fast as I can in spurts so you get as much as you can in one small blast. Again, thank you for the 600 downloads. Let's keep going. Let's keep growing. Join the Facebook group. Uh, It's just 21 Years Podcast. Uh, Follow us on on Twitter, 21 Years Podcast, and send me your ideas, please. SamWill2261 at gmail.com. I always love to hear from you guys. I always like to hear things that you want to hear from me. I hope you're all doing well. I miss you. I love you. Thanks for listening. This is Sam El Dangeroso, and you've been listening to 21 Years. Coca-Cola Classic introduces Magic Cans. You can't tell them apart from real cans, but inside, up to $500 cash, trips, or other great prizes instantly. So take a good look. If you see anything other than Coca-Cola Classic in that can, don't drink from it. It's a winner. So take a good look, because... There's magic in the real thing. Can't beat it. Can't beat the real